to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am welcoming Dr. Kat Meyer, who is a licensed sex and relationship therapist, yoga instructor, and international speaker dedicated to evolving the relationship we have surrounding sexuality and our bodies. She is the host of two podcasts, Eat, Play, Sex, and Erotically Wasted, and is the founder of sexloveyoga.com, which is an online platform for education and programs on relationship, sex, and embodiment. She's also an awesome colleague who I refer a lot of clients to. Woohoo! <laughs> Woo! Yay, money! What's up? Gratitude for that! <laughs> Love the squad we got going on there. <laughs> Hi, welcome. We ha- yeah, we do have a great squad of sex therapists in LA, and if we don't know you, hit us up because we're always looking to meet new people who are doing the sex thing. Yeah, I like friends. <laughs> okay, so a lot of people, when they hear like, oh, it's important to stay healthy, like mind, body, spirit, I think sometimes people go a little bit like blank. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, so I would love to hear from you, like, what does it really mean to be sexual or think of your sexuality in terms of holistic mind, body, spirit stuff? Yeah, well... None of these things exist in a vacuum. So it's it's not like our mind is over here and our body is over here and our spirit's over here. All of these things interrelate with one another. So when one is out of balance, it affects the others. Um, what we what we do know is is emotions. Like when we experience something, um, we have an emotional reaction to it, and so how we process those emotions or how we process the, the, um, the cognitive interpretation of whatever it is that happened to us, um, impacts how the bot, how it's stored in the body. So, um, if I, if we're not addressing these emotions, um, we say we stuff them down inside of ourselves and then we can experience somatic experiences in the body, like tension in the, in the gut. I used to get IBS because I had severe anxiety, you know, but that I never addressed or was never connected to. Um, so when we are talking about when we're addressing the emotional pieces, the mental pieces, we're also addressing what's physically happening in the body. We're connecting with the body. We're, we're connecting with the sensations that arise um, simultaneously so that we can more quickly process through things. So often we go straight into thinking as a way to process things. It's like, okay, I'll go into, let me, let me contemplate this in my head. And then we end up ruminating or like spinning around and around in, in circles, creating all these stories. And two hours later, we're exhausted and we're no closer to whatever it is that we were trying to figure out. But the moment that we start bringing in the body or bringing in our nutrition or bringing in, you know, some of these other pieces, we can move through it way faster. Why do you think the mind is a safer place for so many people to stay? 
Because <laughs> when I think of like what's in my mind, I'm like, is that safe? But I know exactly what you mean. Like when there's an issue, it's hard to be like, oh, this is what I'm feeling in my body. And this yeah. is what I think it's speaking to me as opposed to like, okay, here's how I'm going to reason it out. And here's how I'm going to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. And, or we intellectualize things, meaning we come up with all these rationalizations and these, um, theories to describe or to make, uh, make sense out of something versus going into the process of the feeling because feeling is uncomfortable. Nobody wants to feel uncomfortable. Nobody wants to feel pain or like they're going to vomit when they experience somebody saying something that really activates them or triggers them. So we'll engage in anything that keeps us out of the body and go into all these fantastical stories just to not feel that. So how does that happen during sex where we're just in our minds and not in our bodies? There are so many juicy experiences that happen in the journey of sex. And it's so fascinating to see how we as a collective culture have been conditioned to focus on this, this predetermined goal that we have at the end, you know, this orgasm, or, or we might get distracted of all these different things to do, or we we're, we're connect, or we're in our head worried about how we're performing or how we're doing, or why haven't yeah, they, how do I look from that angle? Where are my roles? How do I smell? Right, right. We're spectating ourselves. It's like we're the player on the field while we're also narrating our, you know, our moves across the field and trying to score a goal. <laughs> but what that does is it disconnects us from all those juicy experiences. It disconnects us from the amazing feeling of their hand on our inner thigh or the way that our um, these the inner vaginal contractions that happen and how juicy that feels or, or the sound of their breath as it's moving really deep and heavy in their body. And all these things that can actually be contributing to heightening our desire, heightening our arousal, our turn on, our enjoyment. But because we are out of the experience, we're out of our body, uh, we're connected with all these thoughts. We're not, we're not doing ourselves a service. Now, further, this is interesting. When our, when we're dis disconnected with our body, we can find ourselves clenching more. So we might feel more tension in the body, contraction in the body. When we tense up, our sensory receptors close. So we become a physiologically less sensitive. We're, we're are less uh, connected to the senses that are, that are coming into our receptors. So we're even lowering that. And is ability. that like a survival mechanism? Like when people are tense, they're like, okay, I don't want to feel more. So I need to like block it all out. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's like when you said tension, I did immediately did a Kegel. <laughs> <laughs> like, gotta, gotta tighten up. <laughs> gotta remember my Kegels this morning. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, and it is, it's so that we aren't perceiving because think about all the senses, um, all the sources in our environment that are constantly moving through our sensory receptors. We even do this with our breath. When we have more of a shorter, shallow breath, a lot of times that's because we're not in the body, we're in the head, we're thinking. And when we're thinking, it's creating story, which is causing our body to have a physiological response to that, like interpretation of it and response. So 
when we're in that space, we're not taking in as much senses around us, which is helpful because again, we might overload ourselves, but at the same time, it's also capping what we can take in. This is something that I talk about with clients, but I think a lot of people say, oh, to calm down, like just breathe, but not all breaths are created equal. So when (laughs) you say breathe from like a yogic perspective, what kind of breath is actually like a calming breath for the Mm. body? So there's, oh God, there's so many different kinds. Um, the type of breath that I teach clients. I'm really just trying to get some free breath work therapy right now. So maybe yeah. you can just give me an example. <laughs> give me yeah, an example. yeah, of course. Girl, I got you. I'll make you a whole like little infographic with all the different breaths and what they do for you. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> <laughs> all right. So, but, uh, so typically when I'm talking with my clients, I get them to do what's called the diaphragmatic breath, which means bringing the breath all the way down into the belly region and relaxing the diaphragm so that it domes out because this does a couple of things. A, it brings in more oxygen into the body so that we can shift our nervous system from a state of activation or fight or flight into a state of regulation. What it also does is it helps to relax the abdominal muscles where we can clench tight when we get nervous or when something comes up, which also impacts the tension in the pelvic floor, which also impacts our orgasmic potential and our sensation inside the intervaginal walls. So, Which is so interesting because a lot of people when they're maybe preparing for orgasm seem like they're holding their breath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like straining as opposed to breathing through it. Absolutely. And what they don't know is that's capping their pleasure potential. So they think like we're taught. Okay. Backing up a little bit, we are, we struggle with this relationship around pleasure. You know, we get anxiety when we lean up against the edge of what we've known or what we've experienced before or what we believe in our head we can hold. So as we are, so pleasure requires us to let go. We have to relax in order to feel more. And when we're hitting up up against the edge of intensity of pleasure in our body, our automatic reaction is to tense so that we can contain it, so that we can hold that level of pleasure or or bring it down to the level of which is safe for us. But what we don't realize is that also impacts our potential for orgasm. So if instead, you know, we're, we're clenching, we're, our body's tensing, our breath is moving faster and we're like, Oh my God, I'm moving up to the orgasm. And then we clench and we're like, as if to like squeeze out this fucking orgasm. (laughs) (laughs) But if instead we're like, in our heads, I can hold more. And we exhale and we take a deep breath and we actively relax the body. So actively relax and press down on the pelvic floor and just feel that, that drop, you know, just feel yourself drop into your body. Then we can break that ceiling of our orgasm and allow the whole body to move into a full body orgasm or even just something greater than what we've experienced before. It's so funny. I'll, I'll talk this a lot in my podcast or I'll say this to clients. 
And the number of times that people come back to me and be like, Dr. Ken, I thought of you last night when I was making love with my partner. I'm like, dope. How did, that's amazing. Like, I'm so glad that I came up, but what happened? And they're like, because I was like, I was hitting up against it. It was like, oh my God, this is too intense. And they could witness the thought in their head of like, this is too intense. And they almost told their partner to stop or slow down. But instead they're like, no, I can hold this. And then they did exactly what I told them to, you know, breathe, relax. And then it shot them off into a rolling full body orgasm and I was like yeah see there you I'm so glad I could be there with you in that I, moment I know I'm so honored I mean how many of us want to be thought of in the middle of someone's sexual escapades um me right <laughs> but it's in like a clinical way they're not like oh I was fantasizing about you Dr. Cat. like for me one of the other days a client was like you know <laughs> we finally did anal and they were like telling me about all the relaxation things. And like, they thought of me and I was like, wow, that's so great. Like <laughs> I'm thought of during anal. Like that's yeah. pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, like maybe, you know, maybe you're not having all the sex, but like your clients are ha- like telling you about the sex and you're there. You're spiritually there. You know what? I get off on, no, well, maybe I shouldn't say get off on, but I celebrate <laughs> everybody's yes. sexual experience. And I'm just like, yahoo! Yes, get it. You know, it's great. On that topic, though, you are so open. And I think even in like the pictures and things on your website, you know, you like show your body and you like are pretty outspoken, I think, about yourself and and things that come up for you. And I wonder what that's like in a practice, because as kind of old school therapists or marriage family therapists or whatever, we're taught to not divulge much. Mm hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't reveal yourself. Be a blank canvas for everybody. Yeah. Project. Which I don't agree with, but I still, I do still limit myself sometimes on the podcast. Cause I'm like, well, clients are listening. Yeah. Yeah. And they listen to mine too. You know, I had thought about that and I had really battled with that conversation in my head for a really long time because of these, these therapeutic ideas of you know, what healing or what it means to what, how a good therapist is supposed to be. And I actually was very connected with the contraction that would happen in my body from not being able to be fully expressed like this and realizing how that must be disconnecting me from the rest of the world. And from your clients and you're asking them to connect with themselves. So if you're not doing it, Right, right. Humans connect with other humans, not to some fantasy image of what they think somebody is. And so by being this example of how we can own ourselves, how we can heal through sexual trauma, how we can celebrate our bodies, how we can celebrate different styles of sexuality and relationships, I discovered was giving people permission to be able to do that themselves. And further, it's gotten so many people attracted to working with me because of my raw, real authenticity and not just presenting a specific image of what I want people to see me as, but they get the real me. All the mess ups, all the, you know, <laughs> um, the lessons, the the messy hair, all of it. So I, I feel you. It, yeah, yeah. And that hasn't been, you know, certainly I've had some backlash to that. 
I've certainly received um, projections from people of, of um, you're a, you're a whore of a therapist. You like are a client has said that to you or someone else, a client's significant other. Yeah. So they were worried about what you were introducing to helping mm -hmm. their client achieve. Sure, sure, sure. And and there's been moments where people you know, walk into my office for the first time. They've been, you know, and 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 kind of first of all shocked that I'm young and um, you know have tattoos all over my body and all the you know very again very authentic, and and it can be very confronting. And at the same time, I believe that. Paired with what I express is also very real and very uh, human. So I, I believe the combination of those things make me trustworthy. You know, people and I would hope me. it attracts the types of clients who want to work within that space. Yeah, I have um, phenomenal clients. <laughs> like I love who I work with. It's so good. And anytime you know something does come up, or yeah, you know, I'm very good at connecting with their. Um, um, their physiological responses. You know, I'm very good at attuning to people's nonverbals. And so even bringing up those conversations around, um, you know, what's coming up for you. And, and then it ends up creating incredible conversations around it, or they read something about that I wrote and it inspires them to think deeper. Um, so it's like, I'm putting stuff out there, but my clients are still doing the work outside of our sessions, which is so cool for me to, to, Give them an example of how they can tune into themselves more and self-inquire and reflect more, which is all we want as therapists. I mean, not that we can dive in and like cover the entire treatment plan that you have with people, but something that we were talking about <laughs> earlier is like how to have this embodied sex. But a lot of therapy and even what we're doing now is is talking and is sort of staying in this intellectualized space. So how do you start making that transition with a client to practice embodiment when they have been living in their head for most of their lives? That's so interesting that you just brought up we're having a very intellectual conversation because this entire time I've been very aware of how my energy has gotten a little bit heightened and how um, I have a tendency to like roll into my hips and roll into my body to get myself to just yeah, I see like you moving as down. we're talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so all of this stuff I incorporate when I'm working with my clients. So teaching them how to first connect with the processes of the body. Um, anytime they're telling me a story, I invite them, okay, where do you feel that in the body? And they'll have to pause. And a lot of people aren't conditioned to think of their body in this way. And even me sometimes, like I get, I get really excited and I get very hyper. And once I notice the feeling in the body, starting to do something to start regulating myself again and bringing myself back down, um, because that helps me to get present and same with my clients, developing a relationship with these different parts of themselves as they get activated helps them gain more control or empowers them to be able to shift themselves in those times that they feel uh, activated in their nervous system, which if we think about sexually, and I can speak for myself, I had experienced sexual trauma. So 
and eating disorders for like 11 years of my of my life, my earlier life. And I was so disconnected from my body. I was so disconnected to sensation. Touch was very aversive to me. I would freak out or just like re- shudder like when somebody would touch me or try to hug me. And once I started getting into I started teaching yoga at the age of 20. So I started learning about, oh, I can feel a feel good in my body. Like this feels nice to be just relaxed for a moment. And then also noticing getting more acquainted with the relationship of my anxiety, because then I started to notice when the anxiety would start coming up. Now translate this to sex. And I was so in my head and so again, like we were talking about earlier, being a spectator of the sport instead of actually being in it. And so I had more of a difficult time syncing up with my partner. Um, so rhythm, finding rhythm in my body and rhythm with their body was, was really difficult. Um, as well as I had a really hard time with orgasming. It, it took me longer than what I perceived it should have taken. So I found myself dropping into a lot of judgment around it and, and, um, a lot of anxiety moving into sex. And then I started noticing behaviors to prevent sex from happening or um, any sort of affection. And so when a couple start, when individuals or couples come into me and they're like, you know, I struggle with libido or I struggle with my partner and I, our sex is boring or we just can't connect or we're sexually incompatible, bringing them first into the body and teaching them about that, um, I have found to make a huge difference in any of these other diff, you know, challenging experiences that they have moving forward because they don't have a relationship with their own physical self. And sex is primarily physical as well as mental and spiritual. Um, but if we don't first bring it down, then it's going to impact all those other things like we talked about holistically. And this might be a difficult, I guess it's a difficult question for me, but how do we know when a response about what's happening in the body is an embodied response as opposed to like an intellectualization of the response. You know what I mean? Like there's some people you can say like, Hey, what are you feeling in your body? And they're like, I'm anxious in my chest. Like, I don't know. You can just tell it's like something that they thought of and came up with in their head as Mm -hmm. opposed to something that's coming from their body. Oh my God. That's such a good question. (laughs) It's hard to differentiate. Yeah. So usually I invite clients to give me textures, give me sensation. And then I talk to them about the difference between a sensation and an emotion. So an emotion is things like anxiety or fear or sadness. Sadness. Mm -hmm. And I want them to connect with that too and describe that too. And then I'll be like, okay, what's the sensations? What's the, what's the texture that you're feeling? Where are you feeling it? And that word, what color is it? Yeah. What color is it? If it had a tone, what sort of tone would it be making? And the more descriptive that they can get, then I've anchored them to that sensation for longer and so that they can process through that. Because by the end of this process, it's probably change. And if it's change, then we've done our work with the processing. We want to see it change somehow. And it won't change if we don't pay attention to it. It'll actually get stronger. Okay. So that's one thing is asking people how they're feeling in their body. Mm -hmm. Anything else to sort of get started in that realm of like getting embodied? 
Another piece that I, you know, with the breath work, um, but also teaching people to, to breathe down into the abdomen. So I always invite them to exhale everything first. So I have them place their hands onto their belly. I have them exhale. Okay, let's all, all do it together. Listeners. Everybody. Hands on your belly. <laughs> Exhaling all the stagnant air out of your body. So really pressing it out. From the lowest part of the belly, inhale and feel your belly pressed into your hands like it's bowling out like a little Buddha belly and filling the breath all the way up into your rib cage. And this time as we exhale, we exhale through the teeth, letting it out like a parachute. And then I have clients do that at least rounds of four. And then they'll notice that their bodies just settle down. They'll notice their, their mind quiet. They'll settle back down in the seat. They'll describe you know, a sensation of heaviness. Um, I also have them bring their awareness into their pelvic floor, so into their um, where their perineum is, where they sit, and um, practicing connecting with the sensation of whether they're tensing up onto the pelvic floor or whether it's relaxed down. A lot of times when we see somebody who is um, out of the body or they're in more of a hyperactive state, they're clenching up on that. Many of us do this because we're under a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, you know, like we're running around doing, producing, all this kind of stuff. So we don't even know how we're clenching, how much we're clenching up on this on a regular basis. Um, energetically, this is also the point of our uh, root chakra. So the root has a lot to do with safety. This has a lot to do with our resources, our financial situation, our hierarchy and social standing. And so, and fear, fear resides here. So that even correlates with how, um, the emotions of anxiety or fear, you know. So if we think about we're running around, we're trying to produce, we're trying to you know, do all these things, of course we're going to clench up on the root. Of course we're going to pull that energy up to protect ourselves. But it's, again, not doing ourselves a service. It's actually preventing us from being able to drop into the body where we can uh, be more attuned and connected with all the things around us to be able to move out of that situation. What are some emotional or traumatic things that you've figured out or have found out for some of your clients who are experiencing tension in their pelvic floor or even pain in their pelvis due oh to God. like clenching? Yeah, so much for myself. And this was one of the, one of the root causes to having more of a difficult time with orgasm when I was younger was because I was clenching up so much on that. And, and so my deeper experiences were around uh, worthiness or not being wanted. And so I had developed these patterns of my life of overproductivity and, um, you know, accomplishing accomplishment for worth and like doing as much as I can and wearing my poor little body out. And that even translated, you know, into sex. I couldn't relax into sex. Um, so it became a lot more difficult to orgasm. So somebody with pain, um, whether they've experienced trauma and so their body wants to clench up to be able to protect themselves, um, from that, you know, their body's intelligence, that resides there and you know holds the memory of whatever happened to them 
um, will clench up to be able to protect him. Or I've even seen so many other women who are workaholics or CEOs having trouble with, you know, having orgasms or painful sex because of that same mentality that I shared um, of this overproductivity. I have to go, go, go that perpetuated a heady, heady space and out of body experience. Yeah. And for, for people who don't know, there's such a connection between that area and your, your mouth and your jaw too. Mm -hmm. So it can definitely coincide if you're like having a sore jaw, which people I think more naturally associate with tension and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so there's a connection there. Yes, yes. And I didn't realize that until I had started working with a body worker because I used, also used to get swollen lymph nodes around my um, jaw area and my, and my throat and not really understanding why that was happening. And uh, he, when he was working on my body, he explained that connection. And he, you know, we talked a lot about the lifestyle that I was leaving that was go, 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 go. How much can I get done and achieve? And, um, and associated with a tight, um, psoas. So the psoas are our hip, um, uh, muscles that connect with our hip, our pelvis to our lower rib cage. And that holds a lot of emotion in there. So many of us can get tension here again, whether it's, uh, things around unworthiness or overproductivity or just sitting in front of the laptop <laughs> all day, every day, um, yep. causing the tension there. Yeah. Have you seen a lot of folks who have come in and like tried to treat their physical symptoms in, you know, from a, a physical doctor, but really they couldn't figure it out because it was actually like emotional and other stuff they were holding. Oh my God, for sure. Yes. <laughs> yes. I actually, you're like, that's my whole fucking practice. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I actually love collaborating with uh, pelvic floor physical therapists or body workers or doctors because I will help them. I do a lot of, I do EMDR therapy as well. So I EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing technique, which is, um, helping the brain and the body. I do it somatically so that, um, the brain can move through big traumas and little traumas much quicker. Um, so I'll work alongside with somebody who's also connected with the body um, so that we can get that at the same time simultaneously. And because again, they're, they're so associated. I love the work that you're doing. And I'm already like, I know this is some stuff that I'm already incorporating, but I'm, I'm learning so much. And just to make sort of like a little bit of a shift, cause I'm being wary of the time, um, Later on in the therapeutic practice, I know that something you work on with clients is how to address differences in pref sexual preferences or maybe differences in desire discrepancies, which it sounds like all starts maybe from examining the body and getting back to embodiment. But mm -hmm. as you're working through that, what are some things that you see for couples that come in who are having different levels of desire or different things that they're interested in, which to me is like every couple that I see. <laughs> right. And that's <laughs> the thing is, uh, is that we all come to the table with our different sexual scripts. Like my life experiences have all come to formulate how I see sex and how I perceive sex and sexual activities and turn-ons and turn-offs and, you know, things that, um, get me lit. And my, any of, any other partner also has their own sexual scripts. 
So Yeah, so to me, it's like everyone's going to have a difference unless you're the same person. Exactly, exactly. But here's the kicker. Because of our what's been socially constructed um, idea around sex, we all mentally adopt this idea that we are sexually styled, meaning genitally focused, orgasm focused, you know, it's all physical body, you know, bam, bam, hit it like faster friction, (laughs) that kind of thing. Rough, you know, um, and we all tend to start our relationships that way too. We all start out more of this sexual, um, primal aspect of it. But as relationships continue on, when that fades, right, then we start to settle into more of our more authentic sexual language, so to say. So we all speak a different language authentically because of these sexual scripts. And in order to maintain a relationship, If we don't understand that we speak different languages, we might start perceiving that we're just not sexually compatible or we, um, which goes back to the question of if you're not embodied, then you'll have more difficulties syncing up with your partner and and then you'll default to, oh, we're just not sexually compatible. No, it just means that somebody needs to, you know, do a little more body work or trauma work. Um, Are there people who you think really aren't sexually compatible Okay. (laughs) The only thing that I don't think (laughs) is uh, sexually compatible is the openness of our minds. So we can be incompatible with if one person has more of an open mind and the other person doesn't, then no, you're not going to be compatible because the other person's not going to be ever able to receive you in or be willing to learn about your sexual script and what you need to get turned on. Now, just because we speak different languages doesn't mean that we're sexually incompatible. Here, we actually get a beautiful opportunity to expand ourselves as sexual creatures. Our, the potential of our sex life and pleasure is infinite, but only if we get curious enough to allow ourselves to go there or inquire. With that said, here we get to think about, oh, who am I at my authentic core? Okay, I might be a little more sensual. I like it to be slower. I love to be massaged and that turns me on. Or I love when there's lots of furry things around, you know, and, and just like cuddles. I love cuddles <laughs> and making out. Or And then our partner might be like, I'm super kinky, right? I love BDSM. I want to tie her up. I want to, you know, like fuck her from behind and then – you know, like tell her she's a whore. Yeah. <laughs> you mean non-missionary positions? Yeah. <laughs> Non-furry. Never tried thing. that. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, and and then the 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 couple might think you know. So often, one person will put their sexual authenticity aside for the sake of the relationship. And so we might have a super kinky guy put his kink aside to be able to meet her in the sensual side. But then this poor guy over time might have difficulty with maintaining erections or might only be able to be turned on from extramarital affairs. And he's like, well, what's wrong with me? Something's wrong with me, you know? And ultimately it comes down to you have never allowed yourself to be this 
authentic or ask for what it is that is authentic to you. Or because of the, the fear of this disrupting the relationship, we haven't created space for it to be there. Or there's miseducation around kink because there's a lot of people who believe that kink is, you know, for somebody who has issues. And that's not the case at all. It's that, again, we've been constructed to think that you know, this certain image of it. But here, if we start learning, A, about our own turn-ons, the things that accelerate our sexual desire, the things that put a break on our sexual desire, even the types of words that turn us on and turn us off, that's an awesome foundation from which to then learn the language of your partner. And once you know what that language is like for them, then we can do what's called stacking. So we can bring elements of this person's um, erotic language and blend it in with the other person's erotic language to create something that meets the needs of both people. We can also use this knowledge to say the, the person who's sensual cannot get turned on by the kink stuff. So the person who has more of this kinky side of them does the meets the sensual person in the language that they get aroused in and takes the time to build that up, then the sensual person, more likely that the higher aroused they are, the more likely they are to receive other uh, languages that are outside of their own. So, And it seems like even before figuring out what your language is, you have to sort of acknowledge that you deserve to be seen authentically as your sexual self. Yeah. <laughs> like there's space for you to be like, oh, this is what I want and it's okay to want this and this is important to me. Right. Which can be so hard for many of us who believe that we don't deserve or we believe that, you know, it's going to freak somebody out or we don't want to be Or we're worried about losing the person. Right. Or be, we don't want to be a burden or incompetency, this fear of incompetency, you know, of um, if I step into this role or if we try something new and it fails, then I'm responsible for that failure. Instead of just more embodying a sense of playfulness, hey, let's play and see if this works out. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, let's move on. You know, there's, we tie so much of our worth to our sexuality. Well, I know that you have a bunch of outlets for people to be able to start learning some of this stuff and to, to get embodied in addition to working with you one-on-one -on -one, um, or two-on-one -on -one or, you know, multi-on-one. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> tell me about some of the stuff that you're working on that, that people can, can find and tune into. Yeah. So I have my podcast, Eat, Play, Sex podcast um, that I've been running for years. Um, it's all about sex, nutrition, and love which is really awesome. I bring on experts and we, um, and I flirt with them for an hour as they talk to me about, you know, intellectual things. It's great. <laughs> My other podcast that I launched this year is called Erotically Wasted. And it's five minutes of erotic poetry and erotic stories. So I have found- That you've written? That I have personally written. Yes. Oh, I mean, just yeah. in hearing like how you describe like juicy sex, I'm like, I could definitely get into that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> because, <laughs> because for some of us, I, I think that fantasy is a powerful tool. And many of us are shy to go there because we don't know, we don't, A, we might not believe that we are 
skilled in that department or we're afraid that if we say something, it's not going to be received or we don't even know how to begin imagining stories. Um, so, and porn might be too intimidating for some people. So listening to something audio can be arousing in a way that you can stay connected with the feeling of your body and not just visually focusing on something external to you. Um, but also give you ideas. Oh, oh, I could say that. Oh, that's a new way of saying that, you know? And so it gives people ideas. I've also had many listeners message me and be like, I listened to this with my partner and it turned us on so much. And we ended up having, you know, and they, then when they described to me their, their evening, it's amazing. I'm like a part of it, <laughs> but you um, just want to be there. Dude, I want to be a part of everyone's sex life. <laughs> this is a great way to be like non-monogamous if you're monogamous. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like a little peep show. You like get to peep into somebody else's sex life. It's yeah. Great. Yeah. Dream walking. I yes. <laughs> Walk straight into my dream and be a part of it with me. Um the other <laughs> the other uh, outlet that I have right now or the other offering that I have right now is um, digital seduction. So I am launching these live online couples experiences through Zoom. And it is curated in a way that um, guides a couple in, especially during quarantine right now, one of the number one things that I'm hearing from people is that they're struggling around their sexuality. They're having a lot of fun with their partner. They're having quality time with their partner. Amazing. But sex is not really happening or as, as well. Uh, so bringing couples through an experience, the first one is touch. So it's all about sens sensitivity play. Um, and is this one-on-one -on -one or it's pr like group or recorded or? So all of it, <laughs> all of it. The, we start out with the couples and they are together in separate screens and we go through a practice with them face-to-face -face with each other on the screen. And then we bring everybody back into the room. We do some education. We do some performances. Then we break them out into groups with other couples. And with this other couple that they're paired with, they go through some other experiences as well. Each of these classes are designed to press against our edges of what we've known, press against our edges of comfort, um, lean into things that we've never tried before. The second class is about edges and it's about bondage. It's about power play and fantasy talk. And then the third one's about Tantra. So teaching you more about the subtleties and the ritual that um, sex can be, or, you know, cosmic you know, entering different states of consciousness or meditation through sex. And on the surface, these can feel overwhelming to anybody who's a beginner or never dip their toe into anything different than what they've experienced before. So I like to make these experiences so accessible to people. People who, you know, they're not in the Tantra community, but I've been studying it for 12 years. So to bring Tantra in a way that's more accessible, you know, or people might look at BDSM, BDSM and be like, oh my God, that's so much. That's so scary. And then I, I bring in, you know, here's elements of that. Here, let's get a little edgy and embody a different persona, you know, and, and, and then people can, it's like a taste test. Oh, let me try this. Let me try this chocolate and see how this chocolate tastes. And, and let me see if I like this, you know, and then they can incorporate that in their everyday sex, sexual experience. And 
expand it beyond what it has been. I mean, that sounds great. How and where and when can I sign up? (laughs) Right now. (laughs) Um, I'll definitely, I'll give you the links for these experiences. The very first one is May 23rd, and then they're going to follow that every two weeks. Um, The, I also have for everybody listening, a free digital guide that guides them through their own fantasies. So we can learn a lot. Yeah, free. Not many things in life are free, but this is because I want you to really discover who you are as a sexual being. (laughs) So um, this digital guide guides you through the elements of your fantasies and helps you to take them apart so that you can expand your in real life sexual experiences in a way that is most authentic to you um, versus just defaulting to what you think it should be. Yes. Okay. So just wrapping up, where can people find you? Um, I mean, I know you already gave these options of like where folks can kind of get started and I'm going to be signing up as soon as we sign off. Um, So join me in that. Um, But how can people follow what you're doing or get in touch or set up an appointment? Are you taking new clients? Everything. (laughs) (laughs) I, all of the above. Um, they can find me at sexloveyoga.com. That's what the host of everything, all my online programs, all of my articles, all of my um, podcasts, all the yummy things, guides. Um, they can also follow me on Instagram at sexloveyoga, where I write daily about my three favorite topics. Well, thank you so, so much for joining. This was spectacular. If you want to follow what I'm doing at Sluts and Scholars, you can find me on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, and please rate and review wherever you get your podcast, which is also free. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.